Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. Dear boss, I'll keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I've laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. <laughs> I'm down on oars, and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. <laughs> Grand work the last joke was. I gave a lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. Welcome back to the Hosh Hosh Society Conspiracy Hour. Where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our fellow chap, Slick Frank Sanders. Hello, you fucking wanks. Slick Frank Sanders here. Hello. How you guys doing? What's up? Marvelous. Bloody beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> I wish I knew more like English slang. <laughs> Smoky telly on a fag, isn't it? <laughs> we lost all our British listeners. They're like, what the fuck are we listening to? In today's debriefing, we ask you to join us in investigating one of the most infamous unsolved crime mysteries. The ghastly series of murders that took place in the East End of London in 1888, perpetuated by none other than Jack the Ripper. But before we slash into the crime scene, just want to remind you of all our socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you can always reach us. Also, Hushlings, we are always grateful and always looking for your approval. Leave us a review of our show wherever you possibly can. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, you can leave us reviews on our website. Also, on April 3rd, we will be releasing an Ask Me Anything episode. Submit us some questions, things you want to know about us, things you want to know about us personally or about the show or about conspiracies you're hoping that we'll cover or if you have any questions about past episodes, we can address them in that AMA. One review that I really need to point out was one that outed one of the two of you speeding. What was that about? I know I, I I tend to speed, but well, I know it was definitely me because Frank's Honda was in the boneyard. So, it was <laughs> oh, it was like me. speeding in a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, great podcast, but you were speeding. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> called me out. <laughs> and hushlings, as always, you can check out our website hushhushsociety.com where you can find all of the audio to our episodes you can check out other conspiracies in our newly recently updated blog section check out merchandise new coming soon as well as links to all of our social media that mike had just mentioned and to our video section of rockfin 
And on our video section of Rockfin, you can head on right over. You can experience the podcast in a whole new form, that being a visual form. You can get aspects of the show that you've never seen before. It's magical. It's wonderful. Just click the link and head on over. You're going to love it. We promise. And furthermore, you should take a step into our Patreon, where you can find three exclusive segments for only $5 a month. That's about 16 cents a day. You are going to get Mystery Mike's Mothman Erotica. You are going to get the Frank Factor, which, mind you, this upcoming Frank Factor is going to be an absolute banger. A lot's happened this month. We've got the Epstein Files. We've got the Ohio train derailment. We've got the mysterious balloons, the Chinese spy craft, all that shit. It's going to be a banger. The cream of the crop, the meat and the potatoes, the exclusive debriefings. That's really a lot of content for 16 cents a day. I mean, yeah. come on. Come on. We've got like 60 extras on there, I believe. Gotta get into it. Cratting straight into it, hushlings. The Whitechapel murderer, the leather apron, Jack the Ripper. We're sure you've all heard of him. The murderous slasher that terrorized the London streets in the night. There's good reason why this killer is so prevalent amongst researchers and pop culture alike. By no means was he the first serial killer, but he was the first to emerge in a large city at a point in history where the average person was literate and the press was recording and publishing all of the happenings around town. Mass media, mass media. Read. There's a liberal out on the street killing people. (laughs) He's killing the hookers. The liberal media will tell you that there's a conservative out in the back alleys killing whores. Tucker Carlson was seen fucking a fat hooker behind London's Big Ben. During the months that the killing spree took place, the journalists in the city did a good job at reporting all of the details. Daily. Everything from the victims and how they died, new details on the investigation from the police, even interviews of people who lived near the actual crime scenes. Wonder if they just put pictures. I don't think they released the actual pictures, but they were pretty in-depth as to what was going on. There wasn't much held back besides the actual imagery that was reserved like for the police. I know you can find the images online. There's definitely a way to see some like actual photographs. They were taken, so I'm sure they're out there. Now, it's important to take note that what we're covering took place 134 years ago in 1888, and the majority of the hard evidence that was gathered at the time of these murders has been lost to time, and the facts surrounding the case all over the internet and books alike are mostly the opinions from various writers and crime solvers throughout the past century, leaving most of the nitty-gritty details of the case to be debated. I like the term nitty gritty. Speaking of debate, it's kind of unclear exactly how many victims the Ripper murdered. The general consensus is that he killed five women, though some believe he might have only killed four. Others believe he could have killed seven or eight or nine or ten, fifty-two. You get the point. We don't know. It's in the numbers. 
Well, if you break down his name, Jack, J is the ninth letter of the alphabet, A being the first, uh, uh, nine one, like nine eleven. Oh, oh see. <laughs> Jack the Ripper committed nine eleven. Oh no. Jack the Ripper was the hijacker. <laughs> <laughs> However, there were five murders that consisted of stark similarities that, to the police, confirmed Jack the Ripper to be the killer. Dubbed the canonical five, all five of the women were found with their throats slashed, their abdomen and genital areas were mutilated, as were their faces. These five women that Dave was speaking about are Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. Marianne Nichols was murdered on August 31st, and Annie Chapman on September 8th, one week apart exactly, and both were in the Whitechapel district. Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Eddowes were both murdered in the early hours of Sunday, September 30th. This would come to be known as the double event, aptly named. Lastly, Mary Jane Kelly was found in her home in Spitalfields on Friday of November 9th. Timeline-wise, this happened within kind of a two-month period, roughly? The summer, a couple months, August through October-ish, right? Two and a half months or so. I mean, the, there was a span of 11 or 12 murders that indefinitely lasted about three months but they couldn't correlate the rest of those murders directly to Jack the Ripper. They're, like I said, good 11 or 12, but the rest of them didn't follow the consistency of the canonical five. The ones that were disemboweled and... Yeah, they, they had that trademark slash of the throat and the precision of the Jack the Ripper murders. Think about how fucking scary that must have been. Just waking up one day and you see some lady with her face just surgically taken off. It's kind of like waking up to the cow mutilations, but with people. You know, imagine. Yeah, little pepperoni eyelids. Yeah, little pepperoni eyelids. <laughs> Sausage! <laughs> little bangers! <laughs> imagine, okay, so you wake up in the morning, you look down. <laughs> You're just having your your cup of coffee or tea, tea, sorry, tea. You're having your tea and you see this girl with no face and she's got these little pepperoni eyes and the first thing that comes to your mind is like, oh, I want bangers and mash. You know, like, <laughs> well, time for a full English breakfast. <laughs> Put the beans on. I mean, they probably didn't really blink an eye because all five of these women listed were actually listed as prostitutes. And there is no solid evidence that suggests of any of them actually knew each other. They were not friends, colleagues. All the women varied in age and in physical features. Very diverse killer. And all five were thought to have been wasted as fuck at the time of the murders. Drunk. That probably made it a little easier to get at them. That coupled with what they did for a living. Very true. Very true. What if they were just, what if they just liked to bar hop in 1888? What if they weren't prostitutes? No, they were definitely, there's people. Okay. So there's actually people that argue that not all of them were prostitutes. That's why I'm just, that's mm. why I'm asking. But it's pretty well documented that all of them were prostitutes. I think it's mostly some sort of 
I don't know if it's feminists or, you know, women's rights people or something saying that they weren't all prostitutes, but prostitution in London, A, wasn't illegal in the 19th century. In the 1800s, like, this wasn't an illegal act. Like, you could go out and prostitute to make a living for your family, to put food on the table for your children. Not only that, but prostitutes were being killed in slews in the late 19th century. So you guys were right. People might not have like batted an eye at this and they might've even saw it as some sort of typical occurrence when they first heard about it. Is this Whitechapel section of London a poor section? Yeah. Yeah. It's very poor people starving disease. Disease was rampant. It's worth mentioning the murder of Martha Tabram, a debated victim of Jack the Ripper. She was killed by 39 stab wounds, but without the telltale neck slashing that the Ripper became known for. So many investigators dispute her as a canonical victim. Interesting. Yeah. The killing of the canonical five was very meticulous, very almost surgical. This just sounded like a murder. Yeah, this sounds personal. 39 stab wounds. That sounds personal. I mean, think about how long that would take you to make that motion as fast not, as not you can. Long. Not long. Take a little bit. Martha Tabram was murdered in May of 88, which was months okay. and months and months before the canonical five actually took place. And that might factor into why researchers disagree maybe that was the first thrill i was gonna say the same thing because serial killers tend to be more methodical as they go on their first kills are not usually very well thought out mm. but 39 stab wounds is pretty pretty wild yes yeah, it seems like there's some hate behind that well, now that you got the gist of the victims, we'll go into the actual method of killing. And it's become clear that the Whitechapel murderer typically initiated his act of crimes by strangling his victim unconscious, if not to death. The autopsies of the canonical five indicated strangulation wounds on each of the victim's necks. Oh, like Epstein. Yeah, yeah, like Epstein, sort of. Hmm. Just like Epstein. <laughs> Afterwards, the Ripper would then lay the body on the ground, positioning his victim to his left. At this point, the Ripper would leave his signature slash across the throat, resulting in a pool of blood under the head and neck. Now, is this from the diary claims, or is this something that somebody witnessed? No, this is more so from the police's interpretation of the murders. They were able to gather that, obviously from the autopsies, strangulation took place before the actual murder due to bruises and all the indications of strangulation on the neck. And they were able to tell that the Ripper would position the bodies in that particular manner due to the, the spray of blood or lack thereof. That's why there would be a pool of blood underneath the neck and head and not in front of the body. This wasn't done while the woman was upright. There was never any blood splatter in front of the body, only underneath it. Sounds like a Dexter episode. 
Yeah, it was very well thought out, very meticulous. Sounds almost ritualistic. It could have been. Now, how do they know that he would be off to the left of the body? Are they just making that inference because most people would be right-handed? And... Could be the indication of the actual like flesh wound, where the puncture point is and where the end of the wound is, they might have been able to just determine. So that means the knife would have to be held on this side. Like if you went left to right, then yeah. they know that the blade started on the left and went to the right. Maybe somebody who's good with blades in their department. In the department. <laughs> it, it could have been... As far as I know, a couple of the bodies were actually positioned up against walls or up against fences, uh, almost entirely as to the point where the murderer wouldn't have been able to stand physically on the right side of them or even on top of them. There wouldn't have been room. What an interesting job that must be being a homicide detective. Back in the 1800s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That mo- I mean, even now, but still then, yeah. Well, chaps, looks like this man died from leeches. <laughs> Easy way out like, all day, boy, every boy. day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I concur. I concur. I Do you concur? <laughs> I concur. <laughs> leeches. Yes, Captain. <laughs> Many claim that these initial steps in the gruesome murders to be a key element of the Ripper not getting caught. By laying the body down and reducing the heartbeat, or even stopping it, he was able to reduce the blood splatter, and as to not get so much on himself. Because that would be very incriminating. <laughs> the Ripper then began the mutilations. He would hack and slash into the face, chest, and genital regions often taking an organ of the body as a trophy, a practice seen amongst serial killers pretty much everywhere. That's brutal. Mm. It's like Dahmer putting heads in fridges. Well, it is true that most serial killers do take trophies. Now, I wonder if that's trophy as the psychology of being a hunter or is it taking trophies as a move of power because a lot of serial killers psychologically are about power like power over their victim and power over the ability to take a person's life it's probably a lot of that like in dexter for example again he had the blood samples of everyone that he took he cut their face and would take a drop of blood I think that's a power move. You're being the god of that person's destiny, realistically. According to the surgeons who examined the victim's bodies, the Ripper had to have some degree of anatomical knowledge to do what he did. In one of the murders, he removed a kidney from the front rather than the side and didn't damage any of the other organs while doing so. Takes a steady hand. What were the streets like in East London where you could just walk past that? Somebody meticulously going through somebody's organ cavity. And you're just like, oh, good evening. You just keep <laughs> it moving. You know? 
Well, I wouldn't say shit if somebody was get... chopping somebody up next to me. I'd keep it pushing, dude. Yeah. Yeah. How many people were Good Samaritans back then? How many Good Samaritans exist today? I saw a guy the other day cut off a pedestrian. It was a homeless pedestrian, but he had two samurai swords on his back. That's not the guy you talk <laughs> shit out your car window hitting a red no. light in 50 yards. <laughs> No, sir. I thought you were going to say I saw a guy cutting open a pedestrian. <laughs> yeah, maybe. With two katanas. Yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't going to go say shit. <laughs> now that we've covered the actual murders themselves and how Jack the Ripper carried them out, we're going to get into the first bits of alleged evidence towards Jack the Ripper, what he was doing, how he was taunting the police, and that would be through the Ripper letters. During the period of the Ripper murders, the press, the police, and government officials were absolutely flooded with letters from locals that wanted to be a part of the investigation in some sort of way. Some of the letters were sent by concerned individuals that actually really wanted to help, while hundreds of other letters were sent by pranksters pretending to be the killer. The vast majority of letters that seem to be written by the Ripper himself are believed to be hoaxes, but three stand out, providing validity to the idea that the Whitechapel murderer may have written to local authorities to taunt them. Sort of like the Zodiac Killer. Mm. Mm. that's also something that is very familiar to serial killers is getting close to the police. It's like there was um, Ed Kemper. Ed Kemper used to go and kill women, and then he would go to the bar where police hung out, and he was friends with police at the bar. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Oh, shit. I guess. But then they interviewed him and he, and he used to say, like, I was hoping certain days that they would catch me. It's going to be hard for you to think about it because you're not a serial killer, but think about that you know of. Ooh, ooh he just might just incriminate himself. <laughs> but think about what that does to your psyche, even if you're like, what if he's having manic episodes during these murders and he's not actually full serial killer, I guess you could say. You know, he's got kind of tweaks back and forth of having that morality and being like, what the fuck am I doing? So maybe there are some times where you have that, or that's just another thrill. That's the adrenaline of being that close and being like, Oh, I'm going to get caught. I'm going to get caught. Yeah. While the thrill is there, like you said, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer, right? You've got that adrenaline to it, that being close with the police, reaching out, contacting them, hanging out where they hang out. And like you said, Ed Kemper was hoping some days he'd finally get caught. So you've got the adrenaline aspect, and then you've got the hoping maybe they'll catch on to you. And that, in a sense, maybe it has something to do with the validity to it like you're finally getting recognition for these things that you've done as gruesome as they are in your head you might not think so but your name is finally going to be attached to these things that you've done which as a serial killer you might see as miraculous feats of impossibility evading the police for months and months if not years and now bam ed kemper you know your name is finally drawn to these infamous acts and that's a whole nother thing on top of it is 
saying that you did this for years and years right under the police's nose and they never knew any that's like a whole nother level to it that's narcissism (laughs) heavy (laughs) the first letter that we're going to be discussing is the dear boss letter dated september 25th which was received by the central news agency on september 27th of 1888 like many of the other letters it was initially viewed as a prank but this one quickly gained attention after the murder of Catherine Eddowes on September 30th. In the letter, the writer mentions clipping off his next victim's ear, and Eddowes was, in fact, found with one earlobe severed. The Dear Boss letter reads as follows. Dear Boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I am down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them until I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How they catch me now. I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger bottle over the last job to write with it, but it went thick like glue, and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ear off and send it to the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp. I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. What an asshole. (laughs) Flex on them, bitches. Flex on them. What's very wild about this is his telling of saving some blood in a ginger beer bottle. Yeah. That he was going to write with. Yeah. And then it went thick on me like glue. Now I can't use it. Should have mixed it with water, Doug. <laughs> not not that I would know anything about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's funny because there's parts of this letter he's laughing about using red ink instead, wishing them good luck. It's uh it's, it is very narcissistic like you were talking about, Dave. One part of this that makes me think it's fake is when he says, I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. I get it. You're using the name of who you're supposed to be. If that is truly written from this murder, then yes, it's a truly narcissistic move. He does have a postscript on this that says, don't mind me giving the trade name. So he named himself Jack the Ripper. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Giving out clues. Is it clues or is it Mr. X? uh, A hoax like the other letters? The Dear Boss letter is arguably the most famous of the prominent Ripper letters, as it was the first to be signed using the moniker Jack the Ripper. 
The second letter received only days after the first on October 1st is known as the Saucy Jack postcard. I like that. I like that. Saucy. Jack is getting saucy. <laughs> That's the good red stuff. The handwriting on the Saucy Jack postcard is almost identical to that of the boss letter. The postcard mentions a double event in reference to the double murder of Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Eddowes that took place on September 30th. It reads, I was not cotting, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jack's work tomorrow, double event this time. Number one squealed a bit, couldn't finish straight off. Had not got time to get ears off for the police. Thanks for keeping last letter back till I got work again. Jack the Ripper. Police later claimed to have identified journalist Tom Bullen as the author of both the Dear Boss letter and Saucy Jack postcard. I was going to say, this sounds like somebody who's just watching what's happening from behind. That's, I think, what I was trying to say before. Trying to play, I guess, devil's advocate. This doesn't sound like somebody who would write this that is the murderer. How did he find out about the ear, though, before that happened? Exactly. Catherine was murdered on the 30th, and the letter was received on the 27th. It seemed like there was some predisposition, some intent to the murder as well as the letter, but some say that it might have just been a coincidence that happened. Hmm. Especially with the hacking and slashing of a face, the odds of an earlobe coming off are kind of high, but at the same time, maybe not. Who knows? Could Tom Bullen have been a journalist as well as a surgical enthusiast? Well, you know? keep in mind, both of these letters were received by news agencies. Oh. And the handwriting. Same, same or similar. Handwriting is very telling. But years later in 1931, Fred Best, who was another journalist, confessed that he had written the letters, not Tom Bullen. Interesting. Clout chaser? Clout chaser? Lastly, there is the letter from hell, which is probably the most disturbing of the three. The other one was pretty disturbing, not gonna lie. It was received by George Lusk, who was the head of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee on October 16th. The letter was different from the previous two in a few aspects. Firstly, the handwriting was different, and it was written in a less literate manner. Second, it wasn't signed Jack the Ripper. And third, it was accompanied by a small box containing half a human kidney. Okay. Coincidentally, Catherine Eddow's killer had removed the kidney from her body. The From Hell letter reads, From Hell. Mr. Lusk, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman, preserved it for you. The other piece I fried and ate. It was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out, if only you wait a while longer. Signed. Catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. Interesting one. A little different in ways that he ate partial kidney. Yeah. And less educated. Does that point to somebody who is equally good with a knife, but less educated, such as a butcher, fishmonger? 
Dr. Thomas Openshaw, the physician who examined the kidney that came with the letter, determined that it belonged to a 45-year-old woman who also suffered from Bright's disease, which is a failing of the kidney caused by heavy drinking. Catherine Eddowes was 46 at the time of her murder and was known to drink quite heavily. Coincidence? I think not. Could be. Could have been, could have yeah. been her kidney. Yeah. Could have been her kidney. That almost makes me think that this third letter is the most legit one. There's some people that say they'll refute this letter, just like the rest of them. A lot of people say all of these letters are hogwash, including the three that we just covered. And with the from hell letter, they'll say maybe it was some college kids that networked with some sort of mortician and got their hands on a kidney somehow and sent it to the police along with the letter. Seems a little bit far-fetched to me. I was there in 1888. We were so bored, we were cutting kidneys out of dead bodies. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nowadays, in the age of technology, it's relatively easy to track down a killer. Between things like fingerprinting and DNA analysis and the rest of the forensic science field, it's much harder for someone to get away with heinous acts like Jack the Ripper did. Although, you know, there's some smart folk out there. It happens. Back then, the only way to prove someone committed a crime was to either catch them in the act or make them confess. And unfortunately, neither took place in the fall of 1888. Yeah, he got away with it. Why Why would you confess? Some think that this could be due to poor cooperation that took place between two police forces that handled this series of murders. Others disagree, stating that even with today's tech and surveillance, catching a killer is no easy task by any means. The Metropolitan Police, a.k.a. the Scotland Yard, was responsible for policing all of the boroughs and districts surrounding the heart of London, which some might call London proper. The single square mile heart of the city had its very own police force. It already sounds similar to 9-11. How? What the fuck? You got the FBI fighting with the the army and the CIA. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. cooperating. I hear you. Is it an inside job? Oh, maybe it was a cop. Yeah. That's an interesting take. Dave's on to some shit. Maybe. I say it again. Dexter, we should be getting royalties from, from, (laughs) from the network. And since Eddowes was murdered in the city of London's police jurisdiction, they decided to work with the Met Police and tackle the case. They started cooperating with each other. Good. Good on them. The London police drafted up crime scene drawings, photographed the victims' bodies, and tried to connect the dots relating to the info that the Met Police had gathered through their series of autopsies, as well as interviews with friends, families of the victims. Despite the police force's work, the citizens of London were scared, obviously. They were frustrated that there was a serial killer on the loose. They saw the force as incompetent and unable to perform their jobs. The Met Police Commissioner, Sir Charles Warren, was scrutinized for not offering some sort of reward in the hope that an accomplice would come forward to inform against the Ripper. So they thought that there was more than one? The public might have. 
No. Uh, guys, I hate to do it to you, but there was one public instance of a dispute between leadership and the two police forces. Oh, boy. Yes. Here we go. It was over some graffiti, and it was found near the crime scene of the double event. First, the police found a blood-soaked piece of Edo's apron, and directly above it was graffiti that read, quote, the Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing, end quote. Uh, I don't think it means those folks. I think it's in... It does. In, it does? There was a huge Jewish population in London at the time. And they were bigoted against, they were discriminated against, and some of these English London bigots at the time already had it in their heads that Jack the Ripper was Jewish because of the hate for the Jewish population. The London City Police wanted to wait until the sun came up so that they could photograph it for evidence. I guess gas lamps weren't that great. They had electricity in 1888, right? They did, but how were their cameras? I mean, streetlights were probably just as bad as now. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, exactly. Nighttime photography in the late 1800s probably yeah. wasn't A1. True, true. Didn't they still need the uh, the light the... bulbs to flash? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Hushlings will return after this short message. Greetings, fellow members of the Branch Hushtillians. Surf the web with your boys. Grab some tissues, a sock, your leather suits, plugs of all shapes, and your favorite lotion. As we open up all the tabs and explore conspiracies about the adult entertainment industry. Was porn developed and perfected as a part of the MK Ultra program? Is the government well aware of porn and using it to control birth rates? keeping people in a low frequency and or enslaved. Are porn sites using us to mine cryptocurrency? How prevalent is sex trafficking? Even claims of an anti-Semitic conspiracy behind the anti-porn movement and much more. Come swing with us on Monday, March 13th. For debriefing 69, conspiracies within the porn industry. See what we did there? Hushlings, we'd like to let you know that Rockfin is officially the home of the new Hush Hush Society video content. It is the exclusive home to all of our debriefings, declassified discussions, and all of our video content. It's very easy to go over there, rockfin.com forward slash Hush Hush Society, and you can subscribe to our channel. And be sure to check out our website, the one-stop shop for everything Hush-related, there you can find all of our blogs, our audio debriefings, links to our merch, as well as all of our social media links. Lastly, if you love our show and want to support us in becoming a better podcast, look us up on Patreon. We've got a ton of exclusive content over there for only $5 a month. That's www.patreon.com forward slash hush hush society. And as always, Hushlings, we would welcome you to leave us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere that you're able to leave us a rating, including our website. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Commissioner Warren of the Metropolitan Police actually disagreed, 
stating that by leaving it on the wall until it was light out could spark riots against the Jews in Whitechapel. Fair enough. They were already discriminated against by bigots as it was, and some thought that they were behind the string of murders. Who's a fucking rabbi? <laughs> What's the rabbi got against the prostitutes? Well, good I with mean, the scalpel. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Circumcision. Oh, got the tender hand. Tender. Wow. Tender hand. In the end, by the time the murders had stopped, neither police force had enough evidence to arrest or convict anyone for the murders carried out by Jack the Ripper. So this begs the question, why did he stop? The bizarre nature of the killings to stop so suddenly isn't something that you see very often among serial killers. Most of the time they kill until they die or until they're caught although there are a few theories as to why the killing ceased as quickly as they started. On Friday, October 5th, the Star newspaper stated, quote, Extreme vigilance is now being exercised by the police in Whitechapel. The whole place swarms with detectives and men in uniform. It was feared that the murderer would again select Saturday morning for the preparation of another crime, and they knew that unless he was caught red-handed, they would have no evidence against him, end quote. The police searched every house in the immediate area. Landlords were questioned about suspicious guests, and it was estimated around 500 informants were told to keep their eyes open on every corner. The block might have just gotten too hot for Mr. Jack the Ripper. Or is it possible that he could have been placed in prison for an unrelated crime or possibly an asylum by family members fearing for his sanity? Also two good questions. This has been seen in more modern cases where serial killers have been taken off the street for something other than the murders they committed. One such case was the Boston Strangler, Albert DeSalvo who, after committing 13 murders, was arrested for rape and sexual assault. Got him either way. It wouldn't be until later, while in prison, that he confessed to a cellmate about who he really was. Had he not confessed, the case may have remained unsolved. Another theory presents the harsh reality of living in Whitechapel at the time. We discussed previously that the east end of London was rough, homelessness was abundant, diseases were rampant, and people were starving. To die at a young age, or unexpectedly, wasn't uncommon, I guess you could say, for those who resided in this area. And that very well could be what happened. Jack the Ripper may have died before he was caught. Can you imagine getting caught for like another, like a petty crime? Like you're getting a Mr. Pibb and you get caught for 13 murders. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. Why can't I steal this candy bar? I just killed 20 people. What's this? No big deal. <laughs> One theory proposed by a former English detective claims that a man named Carl Fagenbaum, a German sailor, who was executed in 1894 for the murder of a New York woman, was actually the real Jack the Ripper. A detective, Trevor Marriott, a former member of the Bedfordshire Homicide Squad, points to the presence of two merchant docks close to Whitechapel, 
and the fact that the men who passed through them were known to frequent the area's brothels. Also, he observed striking similarities between the acts of Jack the Ripper and Juliana Hoffman's murder, which occurred six years later. According to investigations, Fagenbaum, who used a number of aliases, worked as a merchant seaman for the Norddeutsch Line, whose ships were docked close to Whitechapel on each of the dates of the five Ripper killings. Detective Marriott also learned that more than a century ago, Fagenbaum's defense attorney had come to a similar conclusion, telling journalists that his client had admitted to being a serial killer and that he could place him in Whitechapel during Jack the Ripper's murdering spree. That's an interesting theory that we hadn't put together, is a person who didn't actually live in London was there for a short stint and then left. Just a nice business trip. Could have been. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily like a nice business trip, but well. somebody who was temporarily in town, a sailor would be temporarily in town for a couple days or whatever until the next shipment was heading out. True. A short stint of time, you go and you kill a bunch of whores, a bunch of whores. <laughs> and then get right back on the boat. And they and can't you're find out it. of there. Yeah. Yep. There's also an interesting theory regarding Prince Albert Victor, the son of King Edward VII, and the grandson of Queen Victoria. The prince, known to his family as Eddie, was second in line to the throne until he passed away from influenza at the age of 28. It's a ripe age to die, man. Back then, that was like... I was like, your 50s. <laughs> God bless your soul that you made it to that age. <laughs> Thomas Stowell, a British doctor, wrote an article in 1970 that seemed to suggest that Eddie had committed the murders during episodes of insanity brought on by an advanced case of syphilis. In another theory, some believe that the infamous killer H.H. H. Holmes could actually be Jack the Ripper. It's believed that this man killed upwards of 200 people in the late 19th century. At his worst, he had constructed a hotel on Chicago's south side that was engineered to be essentially a death factory, complete with gas chambers, a dissection room, trap doors, and a big old furnace to burn away all of the evidence. You guys know about H.H. H. Holmes? No, and I was going to ask you more about it because I, I figured you would know wild serial killer but here's the thing yeah he was a serial killer but not in the way of like psychologically enjoying it he was a con man he was married to multiple women and he would get married to these women he would essentially steal all their belongings everything that they had money scam their families out of money and then he would kill them there's a couple instances where he killed a couple women that he was with in other states and buried them underneath houses. And then he comes back around the time of the World Fair to Chicago and he has this massive hotel built, but the rooms are almost non-existent. You could go down hallways that lead to nowhere. You could open up doors that are supposed to go to rooms, but they're just brick walls. You would go into certain rooms and he would have them, like you said, like set up like a gas chamber. So the heating element in the room, the heater, would have a hole in it. 
and the person would go to sleep and he would turn the gas on and it would knock them out. And then he would have these chutes that ran throughout the hotel that were greased up and he would put people's bodies into the greased up chutes and they would land into the basement. They would check into the hotel, he would kill them, and then he would steal all of their belongings. And that's how he was keeping himself like going. <laughs> Nobody picked up on that pattern? No. So here's the thing. Around the time of the World's Fair, there were reported like thousands of people that went missing during the World's Fair. Mud flood. They wrote it off as just people that disappeared during the World's Fair. Whether they were lost or they were kidnapped or whatever, they just chalked it up. Yeah, that's 200 people. And obviously he did it over the course of some time. But first of all, in Chicago. And second of all, during the time of the World's Fair. It's fucking wild. Yeah, it's interesting. Another take before we continue real quick about Holmes is the Eddie, King, King Eddie. If he had a case of syphilis, that would maybe have the guy be like getting revenge on people because there were only women that were killed. And maybe a prostitute, a certain one, gave him syphilis and he was mad about it. Could be why it just ended. Or maybe all five of the women gave him syphilis. <laughs> Who knows? Does it, doesn't syphilis eat away at your brain? Well, yeah, it brings about bouts of insanity. Uh-huh. Good old syphilis brain Eddie. <laughs> Back at again. <laughs> oh my. Although Holmes was arrested, found guilty, and given the death penalty, some investigators believe that Holmes wasn't the one put to death in 1896, and that his murderous frenzy wasn't just limited to the United States. In a number of diary entries, Holmes details his role in the Whitechapel killings. Hmm. But again, notorious liar and con man. How so, couldn't you want the clout for that? Yeah, exactly. But it's funny that they mention this thought of him not being the one that was really hung. There was a part to his whole story leading up to him owning the hotel and everything that he killed a man and tried to pass him off as himself so that he could collect insurance money on himself. Is this dude really hurting for, for money that bad? He was all about money. Like I said, that's why he killed the women that he was with to get insurance money, to get family money, to get all their belongings, everything that they owned. Yeah. So fake his own death to get that life insurance. <laughs> On November 9th of 1888, seven weeks after the fifth and final murder, an Oxford-educated lawyer, Montauk Druitt, was found floating in the Thames River. Investigators concluded that the cause of death was suicide and that the body had been at the bottom of the river for weeks. All fucking bloated. <laughs> <laughs> like, stay puff. <laughs> what the fuck? Druitt had suffered a series of personal crises during the 1880s, including losing his job as a teacher at a boarding school, his father's death, and his mother's institutionalization due to mental illness. 
While no concrete evidence connects him to the Ripper murders, the fact that the killings ended right after his death was enough for the London detective Melville Leslie McNaughton to list him as one of the top three suspects in his 1894 report on the case. During the Ripper's prime, London locals were quick to point the finger at doctors. As we mentioned, Jack the Ripper clearly had some anatomical knowledge, and doctors actually had a shady reputation in Victorian times in England. Their profession and dead bodies go hand in hand, and they were known to treat women patients in a disrespectful manner. Some have pointed to surgeon Dr. Deonston Stevenson as the killer. That's a good name, Deonston. Like D-Onston. Weird. Proper. He was believed to have contracted sexually transmitted infections from prostitutes and to have been a Satanist at the time. Aren't they all Satanists? Jesus. He could have been removing the victim's internal organs to use in black magic rituals. The evidence for this lies in the apparently symbolic patterns of the murders, including taking place in cardinal points, indicating some sort of occultist ritual. Always leads back to the Satanists. I like that theory. Others have linked American Dr. Francis Tumblety to the murders. He was in London when the killings happened, where he was actually arrested for a misdemeanor and held by Scotland Yard. Suspiciously, after he posted bail and snuck back to the United States, the murders mysteriously stopped. Hey, another instance of being arrested for something else. Hmm. Lots of repetition going on here, especially with the guys that mingle with prostitutes. That's what makes them top-tier candidates. Yeah, yeah. And there's also one genetic analysis of the letters that were sent to police by a person claiming to be Jack the Ripper, and it suggested that the murders could actually have been in, committed by a woman, not a man, and the alias would have been Jill the Ripper. How ironic. You guys, I don't think it was a woman. You don't think so? Could, who knows? Well, by signing letters, Jack the Ripper, and by leaving graffiti... It wasn't the Jews, but it might have been the Jews. You're you're saying it's a man, and it could have been a Jewish man, which totally disregards the fact that it could have been a woman. That is the best mess of some sort of paper trail that you could have left. You are lighting a blaze to all incriminating evidence towards yourself as a woman. Even though the murders were messy, they were still surgical enough to indicate that the killer had some anatomical knowledge, as we stated before, especially of the female internal system. Mm. This has led some to believe that the killer was some sort of deranged midwife. This Jill the Ripper theory was actually thought up by Frederick Aberleen, one of the detectives who led the investigation in 1888. It's actually rooted in an account of the fifth Ripper victim, Mary Kelly, who was allegedly seen by a witness hours after she was said to have been killed. Could the murderer have been a woman who inconspicuously snuck away in Mary's clothing? Dave, tell me why you're not a fan of this theory. It's growing on me. Okay, all right. It doesn't have to, but like initially, why were you why were you hesitant? Not to say that I'm not. I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are. You just don't see as many female serial killers. True. 
Statistically, that is true. Yeah. Statistically. But hey, you never know. Slipping away into the night in somebody else's dress is a good way to get rid of evidence until you get back on the boat. Maybe, maybe, maybe this lady was a sailor. The thing that throws it out for me, and I'm not saying it's not possible, but the thing that casts a doubt for me about this theory is the strangulation. Because I couldn't see, I mean, again, it's very possible. You could have a a woman who overpowers another woman and strangles her. But I don't know. I feel like there would be less of a fight and less draw of attention if it was a man who was like quick and brutal about it. Whereas I feel if a woman was a part of a woman on woman type of, you know, strangulation, that there would be more of a fight to it, which would draw more attention. If Jill the Ripper was nice and stocky. Yeah, jacked. And these prostitutes were a little tipsy, a little wonky. Hey, okay, you know, it it very well well could be a girl. I, I know many women that could choke you the fuck out. Another prime suspect is Aaron Kosminski, a Polish-born Jew who resided in the heart of Whitechapel with his two brothers and his sister. During the time of the Whitechapel murders, Aaron was 23 years old and had been described as having a slew of mental illnesses. As a matter of fact, he was amongst the top suspects the police were suspicious of. He had a strong hatred of women and often displayed homicidal tendencies. Sir Robert Anderson, assistant commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, is quoted in a memoir in 1910 saying, Undiscovered murders are rare in London, and Jack the Ripper crimes do not fall into this category. I am almost tempted to disclose the identity of the murderer, but no public benefit would result from such a course. In saying that he was a Polish Jew, I'm merely stating a definitely ascertained fact. I will merely add that the only person who ever had a good view of the murderer unhesitatingly identified the subject the instant he was confronted with him, but he refused to testify. End quote. That's a weird one for me. Why wouldn't you want to disclose the person that did the killing? Even after it was all said and done, why wouldn't you just want to get that out there? And this was in 1910? Well, as a cop, if you're suspecting a Polish Jew residing in London being the killer of five, if not ten or eleven women, if you know that as a cop and you come out and say that, you say that to the press, the press releases it, all of a sudden you've got riots on your hands. You've got murders on your hands. You've got robberies on your hands. The hatred towards the Jewish population would only increase due to this one maniac who might have been Jewish. He props to the cop for not coming forward with that, especially because he didn't have solid evidence. He might have been fairly convinced, but physical evidence wasn't there. So props to him for not coming out and saying that and possibly preventing weeks and weeks and weeks of rioting and hatred towards the Jewish community. Very good. So Robert. Very good. (laughs) Anderson later gave a copy of his memoirs to former colleague and investigator on the Ripper case, Sir Donald Sutherland 
Swanson. This copy of the memoirs was later presented to the Daily Telegram by Swanson's grandson. In the margin of the copy were handwritten notes by Swanson, among them the name, quote, Kosminski. Kosminski was detained by police for questioning and positive identification, but was later released due to a lack of evidence needed for charges to be brought upon him. Shortly after his release, his family would have admitted him to a mental asylum in February of 1891. Despite a lack of evidence and eyewitness testimony, police continued to keep Kosminski under surveillance until the time he was institutionalized. He had quite a bit of folks on this list. Yeah, and the list goes on and on and on and on. People throughout the centuries have speculated dozens, if not hundreds of people to potentially be Jack the Ripper. Wasn't it originally like 2,000 to begin with, and they narrowed it down to the 500 we said? A lot of names here that I've never heard, and interesting cases and interesting stories. We do have one more suspect. And there is not much evidence, but the theory does exist that a man named Charles Lutwidge Dodgson, a.k.a. Lewis Carroll, may have been Jack the Ripper. The famed writer behind Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass has been suspected by some to be a sexual deviant and rather violent in nature. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Some experts claim to see veiled references to the future murders in his earlier poems. Suspicious anagrams and the fact that Lewis mentioned soap in one of his poems is really the only basis for most of the evidence that he was the killer. What, what does the soap have to do with anything? Uh, in one of the letters, they do describe washing off the blood. So maybe that's something that Good might point. connect to that. Very mm. observant. That's true. The anagrams simply take lines from some of his poems and rearrange the word order, conveniently leaving out or adding additional letters when necessary to form sentences that show Lewis's guilt. So like Dramatria, just fucking Ex make it up as you go. Exactly. <laughs> make it what make you it, want it to be. Make it work how you need it. Lewis Carroll is considered by most serious experts a very unlikely suspect, despite the suspicions that he might have fit some sort of psychological profile. On a popular Jack the Ripper case information website, he has been voted the least popular of 22 suspects. And in more recent news, after years of speculation, authorities have finally identified the infamous Jack the Ripper's face after making a shocking discovery while searching through old archives. Although the notorious murderer's real identity has never been uncovered, the only facial composite of the perpetrator has now been made public. Among several artifacts pertaining to the case, a wooden walking stick that had a face carved into the top of it was discovered at a college of policing HQ in the United Kingdom. It belonged to Frederick Aberline, a Scotland Yard detective who worked on the Ripper case. Can I say that he's, even though he's the least likely suspect, couldn't that make him the most likely suspect at the same time, too? Make him the easiest to get away with it. Yeah. I also wonder how many of the people that are making the judgment of saying that he's the least likely suspect are doing that with emotion versus fact. They just 
loved Alice in Wonderland too much. Yeah, they love him as a writer or respect him enough as a writer. All right, Hushlings, that brings us to our Reddit section where we scour the subreddits of Reddit about the topic that we're speaking of and see what those little users have to say. Unfortunately, Reddit wasn't necessarily fruitful when it came to the subject matter of Jack the Ripper, but we did manage to find a good chunk of gold amongst the threads. Username E. That was good. <laughs> yeah. I didn't really read it like that, but I like that. That's that's how it is, Hushlings, if you're wondering. Made a post titled, quote, I think I figured out who Jack the Ripper was. The user goes on to say, quote, Okay, my theory is that O.J. Simpson did it all. <laughs> now, you may think it is far-fetched, but I think in 2047 we discover time travel and O.J., steals the time travel machine and goes back to 1888 to kill the ancestors of Ron Goldman to stop him from cheating with Nicole Simpson and stopping OJ from killing him and disgrace his legacy. But when he returned back to our time, he realized that the killings didn't change the future. It only made an alternate timeline and quote, this is amazing. Probably the best thing we've ever read off of Reddit. Probably. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> I like that one. I like that. OJ yeah, did it. One. Time traveling OJ was Jack the Ripper. Can you imagine if that's what it was? New t-shirt. <laughs> there you go. OJ Simpson wearing the gloves that he can't fit. He can't fit the gloves <laughs> on, but he's got the top hat and the fucking cape. Him whipping through a wormhole in a Ford Bronco. Let's talk to Paranoid American about that. Okay. <laughs> new new comic book, O.J. Simpson is Jack the Ripper. <laughs> All right, Hushlings. That brings us to our final thoughts. Let's get our final thoughts on Jack the Ripper and the investigation. Declassified. Dave, what do you got? I've got two possible suspects off this list that we've been talking about that I think could possibly be Jack the Ripper. All in all, I have no idea. But Fagenbaum, being a transient sailor, sounds like a really good candidate for this. As well as our last suspect, there's a lot of similarities in Alice in Wonderland where you talk about getting a girl to get into a hole and go to a world and then she things just try to kill you there. There's a, some weird mental stuff going on in that especially once they adapted it into a, a Disney movie. But I think that it could have been Lewis Carroll, but it could have been a chick. Strangle monster. But I don't know. This is a cool one. We've been wanting to do this one for two years. Did not disappoint. I want to start off with my thoughts about it being Lewis Carroll. I like the idea of it being Lewis Carroll just because of like I said, people making their decision on whether or not he could have done it based off of emotion. He is a person in the public eye, which would make him less likely to be the person that it could be, which would make it easier for him to hide being who he actually is. But also, if you think about, like Dave said, harking back to Alice in Wonderland, a girl trapped in a, in a land, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
And who is constantly after her is the Queen of Hearts, continuously saying off with her head, off with her head every time that something doesn't go right. And if you look at the killings, the killer, besides being strangulation, is bloodletting essentially by the neck. And removing the face. Yeah, that's an interesting part of it. But I do think it was more so... I am down with the idea of of a sailor being around for a short period of time and then performing those killings and being gone without being caught. Another part is the thought process of what could have happened to Jack the Ripper during this time. That's something you got to think about. Could he have been killed? Could he have been institutionalized? That remains to be seen. H.H. Holmes, I don't think it was H.H. Holmes. I don't think he would have went after a bunch of prostitutes. He probably would have tried to find somebody well off. Like you said, there's so many different avenues. There's so many different suspects to look at. And now I feel like it's one of these cases that's so far gone and so old now that we'll never know. And, you know, barring any ridiculous evidence that comes out of nowhere. Sligity Frog Sanders, what do you think? Frog's final thought. Definitely a a wild subject for us to cover. It was different from our typical debriefing in the sense that it was much more true crimey, but still mysterious and the theories are absolutely endless given that this was a slew of murders that took place over a hundred years ago and remain unsolved. I can't even begin to tell you that I think anybody that we listed may or may not be the suspect. While there's viable people in this list, there's viable people outside of this list, there's people outside of who we mentioned that are wild theories that are way out there and not likely whatsoever, and other people that are just as likely that were in the same place at the same time, who had the same mental issues. It's unthinkable to assume that anybody that we mentioned could have been the killer but at the same time, just as likely that any of them could have been. I can't pinpoint anybody as likely as the next guy or vice versa. To take it a step further, that wooden stick that we mentioned that was found in the archives carved by one of the assistant commissioners who was leading the investigation on Jack the Ripper, that carving doesn't identically match anybody that we mentioned or anybody outside of this list on hundreds of the other lists that lurk around the internet that that face doesn't match anybody else and it could have just been a board carving or that police officer could have known you know this is the guy i'm gonna carve him and he's just some nobody he could have just been some low life and he could have just gotten lucky who knows With the destruction of the evidence throughout the bombings of London in World War II and police stealing evidence and evidence getting lost throughout time, there's no knowing. And it will likely always be a mystery, and that's the great part about this subject. Well said, well said, Slick Fox Addis. Jolly good show! (laughs) Recently, there was also 
some DNA tests that were performed, and they said that they found the DNA of Aaron Kosminski on one of the bodies or one on one of the aprons of the women. But they said that that could have been just by chance, considering that she was a prostitute, she could have just been with Aaron Kosminski around the time. Wasn't he doing the hippity-dippity with, with prostitutes? Hmm. But he was also one of the biggest suspects. Well, Hushlings, that is going to do it for our investigation into Jack the Ripper. What did you think? Was there anything that we missed? Anything that we should have included in our research? Did we make it out of the alleyway alive? Reach out to us. Get us at our email, contact at hushhushsociety.com. Hushlings, also stay tuned for a special project that we've been working on, a series of roundtables with a bunch of other podcasters. Some we've had on our show, others we've been on their show, others uh, we have featured. So please keep your ears, eyes open for that. There will be a series of three. We will be releasing them onto our general feed Slick Frank Sanders, Dave, and myself, we were on one each of the roundtables. So we were on different roundtables and we got to mix it up with different podcast hosts. So that will be coming out starting in March. And Hushlings, don't forget to join us in our 69th installment. <laughs> we are going to be slinging some thoughts of conspiracy that you might not think of in the porn industry. Super steamy, gonna be good. And that will be streaming everywhere March 13th. Lastly, if you're like me, at some point in your life, you've walked up the stairs and wondered, where am I going? Why why am why am I going up the stairs right now? Well, that's exactly what we're gonna be doing on March 16th, where we will be covering mysterious staircases. That's right, stairways to nowhere. That's going to be an exclusive on Patreon. Stay tuned. All right, Hushlings. That's going to do it for the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. I'm T-Classified, dude. I concur. I'm Mystery Mike. Slick bloody frog Sanders. (laughs) Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight.